welcome church, welcome. Good morning. That may be a good icebreaker for me because I'm a little nervous. <clears throat> My name is Rusty Rankin. As I said, I'm uh, part of the directional team for our recovery ministry here at Wills Point. Uh, and we meet, if you don't know what that is, the recovery ministry, it's here on Monday nights at seven o'clock, if anybody's interested in that. Uh, we want to welcome y'all here this morning at our Wills Point campus. And we also want to welcome uh, our Edgewood campus and anybody that's online that's uh, joining us. Uh, I gave my life to the Lord five and a half years ago. And uh, prior to that, it was uh, chaos and it was crazy. And I was just stuck in my, my sin was normal to me. And uh, I finally came to the point where I surrendered my life to the Lord. And when I did that, he, uh, I've just been in awe of the platform that he's given me to be able to share his, uh, proclaim his name and uh, to tell people about his love and his grace and uh, also the places he's taken me. Uh, been able to travel with Brother Dick Patterson many times to uh, southern Mexico and Costa Rica, and it's just been amazing of the places that he's taken me, and then the, the opportunities he's put in front of me while I've been there. Uh, it's amazed me at the people and the men and women that he's put in my life to uh, help disciple me and to grow me into what he would have me be. Uh, one of the greatest blessings that he's given me is to be a part of this church family, and um uh, then also, now we're here this morning. <laughs> another one of those blessings and another opportunity that he has uh, put me in front of me. So let me pray for us and I will get started. <clears throat> Father God, I just thank you for uh, I thank you for your faithfulness and your goodness, Father. And I thank you for your mercy and your grace. Father, I just pray this morning that uh, you would protect my wife's heart, that you would put a hedge of protection around our marriage, and that you would put a hedge of protection around my family. Father, I pray that today that you would open doors that only you can open. And Father, I pray that you would do things that only you can do. And Father, I pray that you are blessed by this time that we have here this morning. And I ask all this in your son's holy name, amen. <clears throat> when Brandon called me and asked me to wrap this series up, I was like, well, how much you want me to share and how deep you want me to go and how detailed? He goes, brother, I want you to share it. And I was like, whoo, you better let me talk to my wife. <clears throat> And uh, so I went in there, and I went right in there, and I said, this is what Brandon's asking me to do. And she goes, ugh, that just makes my stomach hurt. And I said, I knew it would. <laughs> so, but I said, think about where God's brought us from. Think about his faithfulness in our life, and think about the story and the people out there that need to hear it. And it didn't take her long to get it. She's like, okay, go, let's get prayed up about it, and let's get going. So I was like, okay, so here we are. Uh, I'm going to start in Romans 1 with you. We're going to put it up on the screen. It's talking about God's wrath against mankind. It's talking about a depraved heart and futile thinking. So if you look in verse 20, for since the creation of the world, God's invisible qualities, his eternal power and divine nature have been clearly seen, being understood from what has been made so that no man is without excuse. So... Basically, you go back, and that is, that's Psalm 19. Psalm 19 says, The heavens declare the glory of God. The skies proclaim the work of his hands. Day after day, they pour forth speech. Night after night, they display knowledge. There's no speech or language where their voice is not heard. Their voice goes out into all the earth, their words to the ends of the world. 
There's no way that you can look and walk and wake up every morning and not see God's creation and to know that somebody was over that, okay? That's what they're saying in that verse. You go to verse 21. For although they knew God, they neither glorified him as God nor gave thanks to him, but their thinking became futile and their hearts were darkened. Although they claimed to be wise, they became fools and exchanged the glory of the immortal God for images made to look like mortal man and birds and animals and reptiles. Therefore, God gave them over in their sinful desires of their hearts, sexual impurity for the degrading of their bodies with one another. They exchanged the truth of God for a lie and worshiped and served created things rather than the creator. So back in Genesis 1, when God created everything, there was perfect order. You had God, he created man in his likeness and out of his image. Then he created all the birds of the air, all the fish of the sea, and all the creatures on the land. And he said, rule over it. And there was order in that. But what we've done, mankind, we've turned it upside down. We've pulled God off of his rightful place, the one who's worthy of all of our praise, the creator of all things, and we, we replace that with idols and other gods and this and that, and the list goes on and on and on and on, okay? It's misplaced worship. There's only one thing that deserves our, that we ought to be worshiping, that's God himself. He is worthy of our praise. So, because of this, look in verse, verse 26. Because of this, God gave them over to their shameful lusts. Even their women exchanged natural relations for unnatural ones, in the same way, the men also abandoned natural relations with the women and were inflamed with lust for one another. Men committed indecent acts and other men and received in themselves the due penalty for their perversion. We perverted it. That's the lengths we will go when we are left to our own thinking. Okay, that wasn't the plan that God had for it. So furthermore, since they did not think it worthwhile to retain the knowledge of God, he gave them over to a depraved mind to do what ought not be done. That ought to scare us to death, church. Right there, in verse 21, they neither glorified him as God, and he gave them over to, to their futile, darkened hearts and their foolish thinking. Then you look in verse 24, God gave them over to their sinful desires. Verse 26, God gave them over to their shameful lust. And verse 28, furthermore, he gave them over to a depraved mind to do what ought not be done. Even though they knew God, know of God, we are saying have a relationship with God, okay? And, and look at the things that he lists right here. Paul lists after that. They have become full of every kind of wickedness, evil, greed, depravity. They're full of envy, murder, strife, deceit, and malice. They're gossip, slanderers, God-haters, insolent, arrogant, boastful. They invent ways of doing evil. They disobey their parents. They're senseless, faithless, heartless, ruthless. And although they know God's righteous decree, that those who do such things deserve death, they not only continue to do these very things, but also approve of people who practice it. That was my life. Uh, I grew up here <clears throat> in Wills Point, and I grew up in the Baptist church. And, you know, looking back, <clears throat> I realized I had several things that, excuse me, let me get a drink of water. I've been sick. <clears throat> I had several things that happened in my life that I think put me on a different path. I had one grandfather who was an alcoholic, <clears throat> and uh, he died when I was in the fifth grade. 
And my parents didn't think that I should go see him because I couldn't handle it, so I didn't. And there was always a little guilt and shame that came with that. Uh, I had a grandfather, my, my D-Dad Rankin. He's probably the most influential man in my life at that time. And uh, he had had heart surgery, and he passed away when I was in the eighth grade. And there were some situations that went with that. He actually called me that morning to, uh, to come show, drive him through the pasture to see his calves. And when I, and I was going to work with Roy Dean, I was like, I can't come out there, but I'll try to get out there this afternoon. Thank you. And uh, so before I, Roy even got there to get me, I got a phone call that my granddad had died. So I always had that question, what if? What if I'd have been there? What if I would have called the ambulance and got him there? And then my dad, when I was in the second grade, they told him he had a year to live. But he lived eight years after that. He died when I was a sophomore. He'd been in and out of the hospital, you know, my whole life, and he had always come home. That particular time, I did not go see him, and he did not come home. So I always had some guilt that went along with that. Uh, when I was also a sophomore, I broke my leg, broke my femur, an uh, inch above my knee. I spent 34 days in the hospital. Uh, I came from a class that if you're gauging it on success in sports, we were pretty special. Uh, class of 1989. Uh, I, I was pulled out of that, and they said I'd no longer be a part of that. Well, now, instead of me being at football practice or me being at basketball practice, I'm riding around in the afternoons with people I've never rode around with getting high. That's where kind of where it started. And uh, from there, it just continued to grow. So we know that when we get to college, we do things that we normally, you know, wouldn't do at home. We're doing things on our own thinking. And <clears throat> my drug use just got worse and worse and worse. So you look up, and I'm 27 years old, and I've had two failed marriages. I've, uh, I've got two sons on the way with two different women, one of them being my wife, soon-to-be ex-wife, and another one, a girl from Mount Pleasant that I'd moved on to because that was the vicious cycle that I was caught in. My cycle was three things at college, roping, drugs, and girls, and they all went together. You couldn't do one without the other two in my, where I was at. So uh, also I was carrying around the title of a drug dealer. I had moved on from just being a drug user to I was dealing drugs now. And uh, here's my futile thinking. I think that, I'm a, that these friends of mine are going to buy these drugs whether I'm selling them to them or not. So I just convinced myself that I'm giving them a better deal and giving them better stuff than anybody else is, and they're just allowing me to make money. There's no harm in that. I also remember thinking that, well, I'm a Christian at least, and I'm going to bring as much good into a bad situation as I can. <laughs> Futile thinking, once again. So uh, move on into, <clears throat> I, I meet Lori. I'm 28 years old. And I'm going to tell you, I'm going to get back up a little bit. My son in Mount Pleasant, Colton, I haven't seen him since he was three years old. There's still consequences in my life right now that I have to deal with from my past sin. That family decided that I had made enough poor decisions in my lifestyle that they did not want me to be a part of that, his life. And my futile thinking was, well, I owe that to them, but ain't nobody going to take care of Rustin if I don't. So I put all my focus on that. And I still don't have a relationship with him. But I have decided a few years back, God laid it on my heart, I may not ever be his father, but my prayer is, is that I will be his brother in Christ. 
that my heavenly father will grab him and embrace him because I know the wounds that I was left with with my dad not being there, and I have no idea what I've created over there. But I know the one that can heal it, okay? Uh, <clears throat> so, I'm, I, so me and Lori, we decide, I think she's a perfect fit because we decide that neither one of us want to get married. She's come out of a relationship that was bad. I had had two failed marriages. I wasn't wanting to get married. Uh, so we think it's good, so we just move in together. And we, she, I had Rustin, just a baby. She had a daughter. Lindy was in the fifth grade. And I had, and she had a son, Shane, that was a senior. And Shane moved on, you know, that year pretty fast. But we drug Rustin and Lindy through the, through the ditches. And uh, so we end up finally thinking, well, we need to do what's right. We'll get married. Well, so we got married. And uh, then I decided that I don't want to be married anymore. Part of the vicious cycle that I'd been caught in. So I leave. <clears throat> uh, I start dealing drugs again deeper than I ever have. Uh, futile thinking is, is that I'm just going to go sell drugs for a little while to get enough money to buy me a house, and then I'm going to be done. But in the meantime of that, I lost my job and, and lost everything. So me and Lori get divorced. Then we decide we're going to get re we're going to try it again. We're going to see if, uh, before we drag our kids into it, we're going to see if we can work through some things. So we spend a year dating. And through that year, it was good. So we get remarried, and now I'm working at the paper mill, and I'll, it's a schedule of you work three days, you're off three days, you work three nights, you're off three days. And uh, <clears throat> I'd started back using drugs again to uh, do to make it through my night shift because there's some of you guys I try to know work at that paper mill, and it, is, it ain't no joke. It's a grind. <clears throat> but through doing that, through the grind of the job and through the drugs, I had become dependent on the drugs again. I couldn't get out of bed if I didn't have a hit of meth that morning. That's where I was at. Uh, so, but also through that, it had started some things. And I'm about to share some stuff with you. I want to tell you, there's nothing in my life that I'm about to tell you that God has not already paid the price for when I put my trust and faith and hope in him five and a half years ago. Okay, there's not one thing that I'm about to tell y'all that the enemy can dangle over my head or use against me, period. Okay, I repented from it. I have moved on from it. He redeemed me from it, and I'm here to tell you about it right now. Um, praise the Lord. But one of the things that was a habit that we I started long ago when we were doing a rodeo on was escorts and prostitutes. Uh, futile thinking, again, is that I'm not hurting anybody by doing that. There is no emotions involved. There's nothing, no attachments involved. I'm not hurting anybody. Nobody knows about it. It's my secret. So as I would get amped up on meth, I was passing Lori and Rustin, just passing them because I'd be coming home from work. She's going. I'm coming. She's going. I mean, it was just we were passing each other. So I had started... Seeing, going to Dallas and seeing these prostitutes, but I, I was in cover-up mode. Nobody knew, but Lori knew something was wrong. She just knew something wasn't right between the drug use and the me ducking and diving. So she goes and gets in my truck, and when she gets in my truck, she finds this sheet of paper that's got all these girls' names on it and their location and their phone number. But she thinks that I'm sexting them. So she, she gets upset, wants me to leave, but Rustin was living with us. 
She didn't want to uproot him from where he was at because we were the stability for him at the time. But we also didn't want me to be there. So she called Brandon and met with Brandon. And uh, Brandon come and met with her and said that, you know, just, hey, just slow down a little bit. Let me go visit with him and see what's going on so that we can sort this out. And uh, so the next day I had to go meet Brandon. So I get to Brandon, and he's like, what is this? And I was like, well, it ain't what she thinks it is. Praise the Lord, you know. And, and she goes, well, what is it? And I said, man, these are escorts. These are prostitutes. And he goes, that just makes me sick to think about. I was like, yeah. And uh, I said, Dallas-Fort Worth has got websites that's got thousands and thousands and thousands of these, these women. And I had went through the whole deal and made me a master list so I didn't have to deal with all that. I could just go to my list. <clears throat> and uh, so Brandon said, what else? I said, well, I've been using drugs again, too. I've become dependent on them. And uh, he goes, well, we need to go confess it to Lori. I was like, dude, we do not want to go over there. And we definitely don't want to go with that message. And he goes, well, we're going to. So uh, then he says, let's talk about your faith. And he shared the gospel with me that day. And uh, I kept telling him, I was like, man, I got baptized and I was nine, you know, nine years old. And he's like, okay, but I want you to know something. I've known you a long time and I've never known you to have any fruit in your life. And I was like, so that just stuck with me. I left there. We go and tell Lori. Uh, Brandon encourages her to agree to not leave me, to just let's just seek the Lord in the midst of this, see what he wants to do with it. She agrees to that. I move into the, my house. She stays there. And uh, But we'd found this place called Stonegate, and it was a all-male faith-based recovery center that was dual diagnosis. And everybody agreed that I needed dual diagnosis. I needed a lot of diagnosis. Mean, I had a lot of stuff going on. <clears throat> and I kept talking to them on the phone, but I kept putting it off, saying I was going to go deep sea fishing with some guys from work in a few weeks. And I've never been deep sea fishing, and I've always wanted to go. So I was just stalling. And, uh, but Lori had said, we need to work on our marriage. <clears throat> so she got us an intense marriage counseling with the Gary Smalley organization at South Lake Carroll. It was a three-day intensive deal, and I, I was off work for three days, and so we went over there. And as we visited with this lady named Teresa, because it's a Christian organization, we visited for about half a day, and then she stopped us, and she was, I can't help y'all. And Lori's like, what do you mean you can't help us? We already paid you. <clears throat> and she goes, the enemy's got a foothold in his life, and he doesn't even realize it. She goes, if you're serious about going to recovery, you need to get in the car right now, and you need to go. And she said, and that's not me talking. And I was like, well, then who is it? Because we're the only three in here, you know. <laughs> Let's just like, who is she? <clears throat> but I got in the car, and it just kept going through my head about what Brandon had told me and about what this lady had said. And I knew I hadn't been walking with the Lord because anybody that walks with the Lord don't do the things that I had been doing for as long as I've been doing it. So whole way over there, it's quiet, and I just go to pray, and I was like, God, just give me the strength to get out. Give me the strength to stay. Uh, I've drove this thing in the ditch time and time and time and time again, and, uh, and I need you to show up. And he started showing up. He, uh, he told me to stay, and I did. So when we get there, I, I get settled in. Lori didn't. She was surprised I stayed. I was surprised I stayed. 
So we get there, and I get settled in, and God started calling me to do some things I'd never done before. He, uh, first thing I did is uh, there's a radio in my room. I put it on 94.9, and it, it was, it, I listened to it seven days a week, 24 hours a day, from the time I got there to the day I left. I'd never listened to Christian radio. Uh, he started calling me to do some reading. Uh, first book I read was John Popper's Passion for, for Jesus Christ, the 50 reasons why he came and died for us. And I was like, I finally understood that it wasn't about what I had done, but it was all about what he had done on the cross. And then I moved on. I read Wild at Heart by John Eldridge. Uh, I read The Power of His Presence by Billy Graham. I read The Pathway to the Wild at Heart by John Eldridge. I read the book of John, the book of Proverbs. I did all the devotionals in my uh, study Bible, my recovery Bible. And God just started speaking to me through all of it. And uh, then, he, then he nudged me to start getting up early in the mornings. And our schedule at Stonegate was 6.30 in the morning to 10.30 at night. And we covered life skills, coping skills, anger management, 12 steps, uh, community. Just, I mean, I had a, every day was class, 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 class. And uh, it started at 6.30. Well, I started getting up at 5.30. And there was a man there named Kyle Hargrove. He was one of the owners of Stonegate. And he was prepping food in the morning for the day. And it, he just started pouring into me, just telling me what it looked like to serve your wife and to walk with the Lord and surrender to the Lord and just... All the, he was great for me at the time. <clears throat> but one of the things we did when I got to Stonegate, they want you to do a timeline. And it's you put down the drugs, how it started, the alcohol, tobacco, when it started, the harms that happened to you, and then the harms of which you did to others. And when I stretched that thing up across that wall, it was all one sheet of paper, from the time I was 16 to the time I was 42, all I saw was a war zone. It looks like shrapnel to me. I could see where every bomb just through my whole life. And uh, for the first time, I realized how chaotic I had been and how many people I'd hurt. So the next thing you do is you go in and you do an inventory. And uh, 12 steps, actually the 12 steps, is step one is that you admit you're powerless over your addictions. You know, step two is you believe that God's the one that can fully restore you. Three is you trust that and you turn to follow God fully. And four is your inventory. Well, when I got to my inventory, there's several different sections of it. And the very last one is a sexual inventory. And it said, who's your first sexual encounter with? And uh, my first sexual encounter was with a 30-year-old woman. And I was in the eighth grade. So I go to, to uh, class that day, and we go to cover that. And my counselor goes, so you were sexually molested as a child? And I was like, I didn't say that. And he goes, you didn't have to say it. I read it right there. He said, any time a 30-year-old woman's having sex with an eighth-grade boy, he said, that is sexual molestation. And I was like, wow, I never looked at it like that. And he goes, well, how did you look at it? And I said, lucky me. And he goes, hmm, interesting. Let me ask you this. Every time you have went and saw these escorts, what did you get out of that? And I said, lucky me. So I also was able to unpack and unload where I thought it was okay to be unfaithful to my wife. 
<clears throat> also was able to unpack and unload where I thought it was okay to just live a double life and to cover things up. Uh, and during that, things were starting to come together, man. God, Jesus was just chipping on me, chipping on me, chipping on me. And I just, but at this point, I'm just like, why? Why, God? I get it now. I get Jesus. I get my, I'm corrupt. I'm vile and all the things. And I need a perfect, loving Savior that died for me. Why? Why is it taking me 42 years to understand it? And one morning, I just got up. And when I got up, I said, God, I, I could have stumbled through my whole life and not known you. And I'm just thankful that I come to know you now at 42 years of age. Praise the Lord. And things shifted right there. <clears throat> so they called me and Lori in, and uh, Dr. Dan does, and this is like 50 days, because Stonegate's a 90-day program. And at 50 days, they call us in and go, hey, you're ready to go home. We're going to let you go at 60 days. And for me, in my mind, it was like, man, I, I know I'm in a safe haven. I know that the patterns that I've always done, the things I went back to, I know people that's went to recovery eight, nine, ten times, still do getting high. I know people that had to move away from Wills Point because they can't live there and not and stay clean and sober. It's going through my head. But Lori starts voicing her opinion about it. It's like, wait a minute, he ain't done this, and them other people that graduated did that, and when's he, you know, and Brother Dan goes, whoa, just easy. And he said, let me tell you something. He said, of all the guys that's been through this program, there may have been one or two other guys that actually came in here, did the work, okay, that God has changed his heart, and he's ready. He said, I'm going to tell you this, he's one of them. And I just started crying, just like, because, I mean, I, I had, I had really worked, and I'd sick, sought the Lord. and So Brother Dan comes over, and he's praise over us, man. And when he got done, Lori was like, whew, I ain't never had nobody pray over me like that. And I said, yeah, that's, that's Dan. So, but he's encouraging me to finish up my last 10 days of Stonegate with my aftercare, finish up what they wanted me to do. I was on kitchen duty, actually, feeding 25 guys. Uh, I had 100 pages left in my book, that Pathway to the Wild at Heart. And then Kyle Hargrove comes in and goes, hey, would your family allow you to go home a few days later than what we said you were going to go home? And I was like, sure, what, what's that about? He goes, I want you to go on a quest with Fellowship of the Sword. And uh, I said, he goes, it'll, it'll be life-changing. And I said, brother, it had to be something big to be bigger than what just happened to me right here. And uh, I said, because this has been life-changing. And he's had a tear coming down his eye, and he said, brother, you have no idea. I said, all right. And earlier... About a couple of weeks prior to that, they had asked me to go speak on their behalf at a golf tournament at Trophy Club. And I didn't even realize at the time that that was Fellowship of the Sword. <laughs> that I went and, and I sat in front of a room about 200 guys. And uh, so it was like God was just lining all these things up, lining them up, lining them up. So I'm stuck with trying to wrap up everything they want me to wrap up. And then they send me 30 days worth of prep work to go on this uh, quest with Fellowship of the Sword. And I was like, whew. I, you know, just I was just bound down with it. And uh, one of the things was is to go through the book of James, you know, every day till you've went through it, you know, the whole month of uh, thir 30 days prior, and then write down what, how God speaks to you in that. 
uh, one of the things was is you needed a, a leather journal so that you could journal your, your trip while you were there. And uh, my mom had gave me a journal for my birthday, and I didn't know why. I was like, yeah, I do so much journaling, you know, but had a journal. <laughs> and then uh, this, the, the next thing on the list was to, to read Wild at Heart by John Eldridge. And you're talking about eye-opening. Like, when I saw that, I was like, I knew that God had his hand on all of this. And uh, then there was these things called Rima Strikes, and it's, it's the spoken word. Uh, Brandon's talked about it a few times here, you know, in different services, but it's the spoken word. And uh, they wanted me to memorize these seven verses. And some of them are short, you know, Proverbs 27, 17. Iron sharpens iron, one man sharpens another. Some of them are medium-sized. You know, James 1.12, Blessed is the man who perseveres under trial. For once he's approved, he receives the crown of life to those who love him, declare the Lord. And then they just like throw two together. <laughs> it was Joshua 1.79, Be only strong, very courageous, to live according to all law which Moses, my servant, has commanded you. Do not turn from it from the left to the right, so that you may have success in whatever you do. Have I not commanded you be strong and courageous? Do not tremble or be dismayed, for the Lord your God is with you wherever you go. <laughs> uh, so I'm trying to get these verses down and I can't do it I'm trying to do all these things of all this stuff I got going on and one night I just went, went in there and just cried out to God and I said God let me tell you something there's nothing in this word that I don't believe and I need you to brand these verses on my heart so that I can speak them on my tongue so I can glorify what you're doing in my life and I went to bed and the next morning I got up and I go in there, and I remember I stuck my head on the wall and put the water on me, and they were just like, <whistles> they all got untangled. They were branded on my heart, and have been there ever since. But there was two verses of those seven that changed the course of, of where I'd come from. Okay? It's Proverbs 17, 9. The heart is most deceitful above all else. It's desperately sick. Who can understand it? Some, some uh, translations say it's beyond cure. In Galatians 2.20, For I have been crucified with Christ, now I no longer live, but Christ lives in me. For the life I now live in the flesh is by faith in the Son of God who loved and delivered himself for me. I knew right then in that moment, I didn't have a drug problem. I had a heart problem. My drugs was a byproduct of all the heart issues that I had. And the only way that I was going to get through that and fix my heart was if I'd been crucified with Christ and I, it was no longer I that lived, but Christ lived in me. And that right there, I knew that where I was headed on this trip with Fellowship of the Sword was like, God was fixing to finish this thing off. So I get done with what's going on, and uh, I walk the bridge at Stonegate, and from there I got right into a car, and they take me to Fort Worth, Texas, and I get on a bus headed to Hunt, Texas. And uh, it was a 650-acre horse ranch that sat right on the Guadalupe River. And uh, what Fellowship of the Sword is, it is a training to turn you into the spiritual warrior that God has created you to be to unleash the man inside of you that God's calling you to be for your family and for his kingdom, okay? It's a six-day intense, and it's set up around going and meeting God in the wilderness and seeking the Holy Spirit to guide you where he wants to meet you at. So my very first day I get there, I open my Bible, and there is 
a card from a kid at Stonegate. And uh, it had 1 Peter 5, 6 through 11 on it. And I didn't know what that was at the time. I was too tied up with everything else. I hadn't gotten there yet. <laughs> so I'm on this quest with 25 other guys from all over the country. There's guys from California. There's guys from Minnesota. There's 25 of us. And the first day we leave out, we got a chair on our shoulder, our Bibles, and got our curriculum that we're doing. And uh, these horses come just like when I'm leaving out and they just pick me up. I mean, like, there's just all this pasture, and they come, they go through all these 25 other guys and come to me. All these other guys are like, man, those are horses, you know? <laughs> and I was like, me coming from horses, I was like, hmm, this is interesting. You know, he hadn't, God had my attention. So I was like, I just asked the Holy Spirit, am I supposed to follow these horses? Lord, what do you want me to do? And, and they, they followed, took me right to this gate. And uh, across the gate was tall grass and all this stuff, and they just stood there. I mean, we could have went all over anywhere, but they just stood there with me. And I was asking God, is this where I'm supposed to be? So I went over the gate, and I, I walked through this pasture, and I walked to this, this cliff that's like 60 or 80 foot, just a cliff, and it's overlooking the Guadalupe River. And there's a retention pond over here, and the water's trickling over into the river, and it's just like so peaceful, and these birds are just whipping by in front of my face. And I was like, God, thank you for allowing me to see this. This is so, this is beautiful. And I sat down, and when I sat down, uh, I said, I'm going to read that, that verse that, uh, that Mark Ballinger had given me at Stonegate. And when I sat down, the Lord told me, he said, no, you need to read the first part of that. We're going to put it up on here. It's a different version of what my Bible is because we didn't, me and Brandon didn't have it all together. But when I sit down there, I read verse 2, and it said, Be shepherds of God's flock that is under your care, serving as overseers, not because you must, but because you're willing, as God wants you to be, not greedy for money, but eager to serve, not lording it over those entrusted to you, but being examples of the flock. And when the chief shepherd appears, you will receive the crown of glory that will never fade away. You see, when I left Stonegate, I had told my wife that I think I know what God's calling me to do, but I don't think it pays much. <laughs> and I knew right then that God wasn't calling me to be a licensed chemical dependency counselor. He's calling me to be a shepherd of men, to be an example to the flock. God wasn't calling me to tell people the consequences of drug abuse and, and how that happens. He was calling me to tell people about Jesus Christ, the one who came down to hang on the cross for our sins, and to tell them that we have a sin problem. It had nothing to do with drugs. It had all to do with Jesus. And I got up, and I was like, okay, God, I got this. <clears throat> Once again, you've awed me. And when I stood up, I turned to the left, and there was a, cross, a cedar cross that was tied together on like a little dog grave that I had never seen. I didn't even see it when I walked in there because the grass was high. And that was just confirmation to me to know what God had called me to do. <clears throat> uh, I'm going to close with this this morning. And uh, I want you to think about this. I have no idea why my wife stayed with me. I have no idea of why she stayed faithful to me in my unfaithfulness. I have no idea how she loved me when I'm unlovable. But I'll tell you this. It's a perfect picture of God's love for us. Think about it. 
Love the unlovable, always faithful. And I want to take the time right now to tell you, there's probably people online watching this. There's probably people right here in this room that was part of the chaos and the shrapnel of my life. And I ask for your forgiveness. It's, what better time for me to throw that out there than right now? Church, I want you to think about this. We have a holy and righteous God who has given us perfect order to draw near to him if we'll just put our trust and our faith in Jesus Christ. There's nothing that he can't redeem you from. We get caught up in thinking that my problem is bigger than God can do, and it's not. I look around here now, and I'm just, I'm in awe of the men that God's put in my life and saw where God's brought them from, and he's raised them up to be spiritual warriors of their family and for his kingdom. And for that, I'm thankful, okay? All week long while I was getting ready for this, there's been a song that's out right now, and it's uh, David Crowder. He says, all my hope is in Jesus. Thank God my yesterday is gone. All my sins are forgiven, for I've been washed by the blood. <laughs> and that's what I want to leave y'all with. Church... It's been an honor to be here, and let me, let me uh, close this out in prayer. Dear Lord, Father, I thank you for uh, your love and your grace and your patience and your faithfulness and your, your son. And Father, I just pray that, uh, I pray that you will press this message upon the hearts of the ones that are hearing it, Father. I pray that uh, you will use this in a mighty, mighty way, Father, to know that, let people know that you are, there's nothing you're not capable of doing, Father, when we put our trust and our faith and our hope in Jesus Christ. Father, we love you, we thank you, and we praise you. And I ask all this in your son's holy name. Amen.